0: Read along with me, if you would, please. Brethren, if a man is taken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I know that there are some times I feel like we run through the field, and other times we're picking every blade. And sometimes, Lord, you stop us and slow us down and say, hey... Take a good look at this, and and certainly, Lord, this is one of those times. On this beautiful evening, here in Camden Town, 2015, we have gathered together tonight for the purpose first of sitting with you. Our hearts are expectant that you would speak to us, that we could hear from you. We could know you better. So Lord, for those things that our hearts hunger for, bring the Bountiful full feast tonight. Lord, in the ways that we so desperately need to hear you, speak now. And let us, Lord, truly hear your voice. Thank you for the blessing, Lord. The privilege of spending another night here with your beloved. Lord, please, speak fluent us individually, Lord, overcoming every language barrier, culture barrier, anything and everything. That every one of us personally, individually bespoke to us could hear you speak to us tonight. And in that, that tonight, as you engage us, we would respond accordingly. That we would receive every gift you offer us. Grant you every offer you make to us. And give you allowance for every bit of your, your intentions tonight. So captivate our minds in your word. Draw in our hearts, Lord, and transform them. May we have so much fun. your word this evening so immerse me in your Holy Spirit come upon me in a way Lord that you would use me to do what I cannot humanly do for all your glory and honor and for the benefit of every person here we commit this time you redeem every second we pray save transform encourage deliver equip do everything you intend tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight is that, would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. The last couple days have been quite eventful in our household. Last night, or I'm sorry, yesterday morning, I was making my youngest breakfast. My oldest has a tendency to get up quite a bit later than my youngest. It's precious time for the younger and I, Ruthie. And we hear a banging, uh, sounds like on the roof, strange place, here we are in the kitchen. And we really don't know what it is. So we continue, at this point we're washing dishes, trying to bless her mother. So when she comes down, she doesn't find a mess. As we stop the dishes once they're completed and we start hearing the pounding continue, we hear a voice that says, help. We go running up the steps and there's my poor wife. She had turned, it was one of those moments where you just don't see it coming. She was, I guess she was sort of in the shower, shaving her legs or whatever, and it just turned the wrong way and just collapsed. And she had hurt herself so bad she couldn't help herself up. She didn't see it coming. She didn't wake up in the morning to go, I assume today that I'll probably find myself in a place where I'm going to need help. Where I'm going to find myself in essence in that humble position of really feeling helpless without someone else. She's a perfectly healthy human being. She does have scoliosis, a curvature of the spine. But she's in no position where you would consider her necessarily, if you'll pardon me for saying, handicapped in in, in her back. But by God's grace, I mean, she has a husband that at least can pick her up and help her get dried off and get her to her bed and let her rest. Those moments are very frightening, needless to say, for a lot of people. Of course, as we're pulling her out of the door, there's her youngest staring in amazement. And you would think, what a horrible moment for that young lady. But it really wasn't. And speaking with her later, she spoke about the, the beauty it was to see someone love another person. Now, that's not necessarily the kind of word she uses often. And she saw it because a person that was really in need was being helped by somebody who really wanted to help solely for their benefit. Funny, because I knew that I would be teaching on this text tonight. And in this text, there's a very, very similar situation that goes on here. At the end of chapter 5, we were told of two different modus operandum, if you will, modus operandi. We could either work in a me-first, self-centered, or as he would call it, in the flesh-driven life. Or we can live a selfless, God-centered, others-focused life that he calls walking in the Spirit. Before we've come to Christ, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, you will have that opportunity tonight. Before coming to Christ, you didn't have an option. It was you first. It was survival, and survival is very selfish. And with a me-focused life comes a lot of other things, too. For instance, fear. Fear is the... Well, if you will... It's the trailer that is attached to the lorry of self-centeredness. And so, we can make that choice now, having accepted Jesus Christ. God gave us a second choice, but we can choose what we're most familiar with. Which is to be self-centered, self-driven, self-centric, self-motivated, self-made. Which really, in essence, flies in the face of all the kindness and grace that God has bestowed upon us. And he told us there's two different ways to walk. You're going to feed one or the other. Next week, God willing, we'll look at the fact that he says that in another way. You reap what you sow. But here, as he's been telling us that you've been called to freedom. But don't use your your freedom as an opportunity for that flesh. Hear me in that. Just because you are free to choose does not mean you're, you should choose poorly. You are free to choose. I can give you a hammer and you can use it to build a house. Or you can use it to hit the person next to you. You are free to make that choice. We can agree, prayerfully we can all agree, that the second, the latter, is a poor choice. But you are free to make that choice. The world thrives, if you will, or at least exists on the function or the presupposition that hopefully the people around you will not be making those choices. The latter. When you're standing waiting for the train and there are an awful lot of people, and of course, most of them have no clue what the yellow line is and how to stay behind it. But it only takes one person to throw you forward. Now, this is not to feed your paranoia. If you're the kind that's fearful, this is probably going to be a rough moment for you. Think about the strange amount of trust you must exude. That complete and total strangers sometimes some that look barking mad, are standing right behind you. But you are either assuming that they won't push you or that the push they give will not be as strong as your ability to brace yourself. Or you just trust that God's bigger than both of you, which I think is a wise move. And the reason I say that is, is exactly what Paul is listing. You are free to choose. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus, you are free to choose. And people ask, why do Christians look so much like the world? Because they are choosing poorly. They can choose that if they want. But how stupid. The same way that a man marries a woman because he says he loves her and then chooses to live the rest of his life alone. He has the right to enjoy his wife. But he could be stupid and make poor choices. And he told us that if we're really going to be free, we should be free to love. To really think about others. See, we weren't free to do that before. Even if we did an act of kindness... At the very least, we were keeping score for someone, ourselves, them, God, whatever. But the moment that we accepted Jesus, he put a selfless love in us in such a way that we would actually serve someone else solely for their benefit, to give, to give life. And then we get to this text in light of that. As he's been preparing us in the previous couple of chapters with that mindset. He told us to not become conceited, provoking one another in the last couple of verses of a previous chapter, our previous chapter. He told us if we're going to thrive, if you remember, to live, to thrive in the Spirit, well, then let us also walk, to keep step with the Spirit. Not just to walk mindlessly or to walk around, but literally, it's a military term of to march in sync. Stay in sync with what the Spirit wants to do. Interesting as it goes from that now to this. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Tear this apart with me for just a moment. First of all, brethren. Brethren means he's speaking to Christians. That would be clear. He is not asking for any person who doesn't know Jesus Christ to restore another individual. The fact that he's telling us that this intention is to restore such a one tells us that the person that is in trouble is a Christian as well. This is one Christian seeking to reach out to another Christian. What is it that's put them in such peril? He tells us here that it is a trespass. He tells us in the verse 1, and look at it with me. Brethren, if a man is overtaken. Uh, the word, by the way, the word is pro-lambano. Pro means ahead of time, like anything pro, proceeding. Lambano means to take a hold of, to grab. The idea of it is to grab ahead. And it really is, in essence, a wrestling term. And the idea is simple. Two guys are looking at each other, and they're kind of, you know, and it's a very traditionally Greek mindset. Greeks like to. Robbie, I don't know, I shouldn't, shouldn't go there. Anyways, you know, they'd shave themselves, they'd grease themselves up, they'd throw off all of their clothing, two guys, and they'd stand in a ring at each other and try to take each other down. And the idea of it was that they would be, they would be coming like this, and ultimately, sooner or later, one of them's gonna get a hand on the other one first. And the one that gets a hand on the other one first is the one who's gonna take the other one down. Interesting, because a very similar term is used in John chapter 1 when he says that light shines in the darkness and the darkness couldn't literally get a hand on it. It's the same kind of idea there. The idea is that light was so the dominant factor that darkness couldn't even get a hand to try to take light down. Darkness, it will never be the overcomer of light, only the absence of it. So let's start putting this thing together. Dominic. He all of a sudden is walking and he finds himself overtaken. Now when we use the term, and it's quite simple in the same way, that somehow in it the person that seems to be in a battle and seems to have lost the one who appears for the moment to be stronger or at least to have the advantage. Well, what is it that's overtaken him? A trespass. Think about what a trespass is. I mean, the, the idea of it in its simplest sense is you're not where you should be. Isn't that what a trespass is? Something that says, stay out. You don't belong here. This is not for you. And my dad was, and I, did, I had very little time, but the time that I did have him, he was a, kind of an adventurist of, of, at heart. And my father had seen a movie a long time ago called Papillon, Butterfly. It was with Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Some of you don't know that name. You think McQueen? Isn't that one of those cars in the car? Well, Steve McQueen was an older actor, as you might guess. And in the movie, there was—he was filmed. He discovered that it was filmed at the old Stateville. Now, by virtue of calling it the old Stateville, Stateville's a prison, by the way. There, you have to assume there's a new Stateville. Well, there is a new Stateville, and it is very well occupied by the Blues Brothers and others as you're so my father goes and takes a, a drive over with his new wife to the old Stateville because he recognizes that the movie was shot at the old Stateville. He goes up to the big fence, and it is a chain link fence that is wrapped around in chain with a giant padlock on it. And he's there shaking, the, shaking this gate, shaking this gate to see how secure it is. It says all over it, don't trespass. Foo, what are you doing stepping in here? And he's shaking his thing. And he turns to his wife and he says, hey. And he's like, you know, he's there. There's two old guard towers and the whole bit. You know, he's like, this is so cool. And he goes, you know, if we get some chain cutters, we can cut right through this. And then all of a sudden, something strange happens on one of the guard towers. A little speck blows a whistle. See, what he hadn't really considered the fact was that the old stateful was still occupied. My father was trying to break into an occupied prison. How many people do you know try to break into a prison? <laughs> now, you can imagine how weird that would be. I mean, he's like, oh, okay, time to leave. Hops in the car and off he goes. They probably still are looking for him for that, I imagine. And I wonder how many times. I mean, I was raised, because I was raised with that mindset, I see the word, you know, no trespassing, and I think, that's cool territory. There's like, something in my mind that that's how it clicks. Until I went to Israel. Because in Israel, when it says, no trespassing, don't go beyond this line, there's a reason for it. There are mines. You know what a mine is? That's when you step on it. That's not the problem. It's when you lift your foot. Then it blows up, and that's say goodbye to your foot. That's the end of it. Or go find it. Hop over where it goes. And, And the idea of it is you realize that trespassing is because you don't belong there for a good reason. Sometimes it's because somebody just doesn't want you in their property. A lot of times it's because you could be in grave danger. Well, that's what a trespass is. And get the idea here that if if I put these pieces together, this is some of the clues and the, the conclusions we can come up with, simple ones. One is that a Christian can trespass. It's not a good choice. It's a bad choice, but they can trespass. And to trespass, that means they are where they don't belong. So let me ask you, is there any place in your life right now where you know you don't belong? I mean, you went into it because maybe it was exciting, maybe you were curious, maybe you saw a movie. I mean, could you imagine what would happen if my dad had broken the chain on that thing and walked his way in? I guarantee you they would have let him in. It was coming out that would have been a problem. Well, get the idea there. That's the beginning of this. There is a person who, for whatever reason, it was curious, it was exciting, it was promoted as something, whatever. And we, have, we as Christians, our eyes are supposed to be on Christ. But the enemy knows that many of us have spiritual ADD. We even pray, Lord, just squirrel. I mean, we just can't even focus for a moment, and we're like, you know. And we know because when we pray, we're like praying, and our headphones are in, and we're typing a text, and we're, you know, kicking something with our foot. You know, it's like, hey, God and Lord, as if the Lord's like, you know, he's silencing heaven to watch us. Mold. with him. He's like, hold on, angels, watch this. Oh, Lord, that's a you know, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, amen. Did I say something good? You know, and so God's like, you'd see the angels going, this is the funniest reality show I've ever seen. I mean, there are other people who follow their knees and they're crying out, I mean, throughout the ages. And not everybody, of course, but there have been people where it just seemed like, and it wasn't a show for them. It's just that their heart was erupting like a volcano inside of them in prayer. And sometimes I kind of think that when God looks at me, it's like I'm throwing Skittles at Him. God, here's, here's oh, this is my, oh, this is intense and important. You know? And God's like, what what's this? A little sugar-coated nothing. And I get the idea there, there are times though that, that it, while I'm kind of walking, the enemy goes, you know, yeah, God's, and this is his concession. The enemy will go, you know, God's cool for saving. Okay, so you're going to heaven. Okay, you're safe with that. But now what are you going to do now? Fun? Well, that's my camp. And the sad part is how much of the church promotes that. We're like, yeah, you know, Christians, well, well, we have to go to church and we have to pray. And I've got to read. I've done my time. I did my three chapters in Isaiah. I did my time. I did my daily bread or whatever it is. I did my time. Now I can get out and do something fun. And this is not just here in the UK. It happens all over America. We do it in all of our youth groups. We're like, let's get through the Bible study so we can play dodgeball. And kids are like, oh, when is this going to be over? I can't wait to play dodgeball. And we get the idea, and we're kind of telling, and it's not because there's anything wrong with dodgeball. That's not the point. The point is we get to this point where we start to think that, that sort of everything that we do for God is like we do for God, not with Him. So it's all sacrifice. And then God gives us free time to do what we really want to do. And the enemy takes advantage of that. He says, I know that God said that this is on, you know, this is off limits. But the moment it's off limits, it becomes greener grass, doesn't it? I was like, I didn't even care about it before. But the moment it said, don't go in, I'm like, well, what, why not? What is it? Why is that? And I remember this with my kids. You know, it's like, you know, you make up. My wife loves to bake. She, and she, of course, she married the wrong guy for her because I'm like so not a sweet tooth. So you, you're really good to buddy up with me because no matter where I go, I get free coffee that I don't normally like, and and I get and my wife bakes cookies. So no matter what you get, you're going to get coffee and cookies. It's like it's like Santa, but better. Well, well, figure this out. It's like you know, I, my wife would make these plate of cookies. And I just remember my my oldest when she was really little, and she would. I'm like no, you know, it's like 15 minutes before dinner. And I'm like no. She like would walk over. What are these? Like she doesn't know what a cookie is, right? What, what are these? I'm gonna tell you what they're not. Yours. What? So what? What are what are they? Be be real with me. You know what they are. Yeah. So can I have two? Because when you say no, and she's like, "So I can have one then, right?" She's like chiseling me down. See how my kids are? Pray for me. I'm like, no, honey. Listen, 15 minutes is dinner. I don't want you to ruin your appetite. Oh, come on. You know how big my stomach is. I can eat this and a big dinner. I'm reasoning with you. Or you can wait till the end and you will have my blessing. Okay? Where are you going? You know what? I just want to be near the cookies. I just want to be near them. just want be near them. Why do you want to be near them? I just, just, just want to be near them going to smell them? Smell them. Mm, smell like cookies. Like sweetheart, a heart that's to be near to sin is a heart to be to sin. What? If the cookies are off limit right now, don't go near them because you're going to want them more. Oh, I do want them more. You can imagine. And I, I that, that that particular conversation sticks in my heart so deeply because I recognize how much of me is in her. And have you ever done that? You talk to a guy and he's like, he's had a problem drinking, but he's like, you know, I'm only going to the pub for, but why are you in the pub, man? Is there anything you can get in the pub you can't get somewhere else? Drunk. It's like, why are you so close to your cookies, man? But sooner or later, you go, that's off limits. Paul even said, you know, I wouldn't even know what it meant to covet till God told me not to. And I was like, ooh, I want whatever it is I can't have. And all of a sudden, what happens is some places are like the old Stateville. It looks exciting. It's kind of, you know, I could just peek in. And all of a sudden, it becomes like your identity now. I mean, so much so that even after becoming a Christian, you still think of yourself as a Christian with this, as as a bolt-on, as an add-on. So much so that you're like, well, then how come the church looks at this? Or how come, how come we can't do this? Or, or why is it as if somehow you're still a representative for this thing instead of actually being a representative for Christ? And it's amazing how often that happens. And it happens in so many different arenas because somewhere down the line, we won't say, look, you know, this is just wrong. It's trespassing. This is supposed to be off limits, and I'm not really supposed to be there at all. And the Lord's like, you know, I'm not just standing here waiting for you to just kind of stand with me. I want to walk. I want to take you some beautiful places. But if you're going to wander off, you're really not going to go to the places I want, you, I want to take you. And I guarantee you where I'm taking you is going to be so much better than any place you can wander off. But then you get to that point where you're overtaken. And understand when a person is overtaken, then it's time for rescue. But notice, it's not like everyone can rescue such a person. He gives us some very important details here. But it starts with this. Here is somebody who needs to be rescued. I mean, They're in a place now. And you know the problem is, often when we are overtaken, the last thing we want to do is ask for help. And it isn't because, listen, I'm going to call your bluff on this. It isn't because the church is going to condemn you. It's because you've been listening to the enemy already to stray. So you're going to listen to the enemy accuse to keep you there, too. That's why. Because when you listen to the enemy, it goes, come this way. This is better territory. This is exciting. Oh, you only can step in for, well, just pop in the you can pop in and pop out. What's the big deal? And then you get there and you've already been giving him audience. You are following him into your trespass. You are following him into this dangerous territory. So you're already listening to him. And you know what happens and you get here and you're like, oh, this isn't so good. I really don't think I should be here. But you're already listening to him. So he'll say, you don't want to go and call anyone because you know what they're going to say. I told you so. You're going to get that look. You know that look when you're going to tell them, look, at need and They're like, oh really aren't you supposed to be better than that by now and they'll condemn the church he'll condemn the church he'll condemn you right oh you miserable worm you don't deserve to go there anyways you're horrible you're better than them but you're horrible how does that work out right what does that make the church Oh, and you don't want to call your Christian friends because you know they're already talking about you right now and you know they've already put labels on you right now and you know they're already joking about you right now and they've already ostracized you right now. They don't care. They're not going to help. They're going to, you know, I mean, imagine what that would be like if you wandered off. It said rip current at the ocean. You wandered into it. The ocean's pulling you out deeper and all of a sudden the same one that's leading you out there and you realize the, the only difference is in that situation we recognize someone's trying to drown us. And that same person says, don't call for a lifeguard. They're going to point and laugh at you. They're going to go, how can you be so weak? Why do I have to rescue? Because it's their job. That's their job. I lifeguard for a while. And I can tell you right before I got the job, the last guy that had my job quit because somebody died on his, on his uh, shift and he couldn't recover. He watched a kid that fell and got trapped underneath this sort of fake sort of uh, stage thing that floated in the water. And he watched them pull him out and he was dead. And he said, "There's that was my job. There was no way he could have seen that kid. There was no way he could have seen him. But it didn't matter to him. He knew that that was his job. And can I say, beloved, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, welcome to the school of lifeguarding. You are called to be a lifeguard. Here's the problem. Let me warn you now. When a person is overtaken in a trespass, they will most likely not tell you. Matter of fact, they'll just most likely not see you. And you call them and they say, I'm cool. Things are all right. The same way that if Naomi was in a hostage situation and we call her on the phone and she's standing there with this person pointing a gun at her. Hey, Nay, how's it going? I'm fine. Because she's in the audience of the one who's her captor. But if you're to say, Hey, Nay, I'm coming over. She's like, good. You might want to multiply that. You know, I have to talk code at a moment like that. Maybe more of you. Nines, three of them, think it through. You know. And so you ask somebody, how are you doing? And you know. It's like, you know, someone walks by, hey, yay! And you're like, well, actually, I want to, oh, bye. They're not asking. But every once in a while, someone will love you enough to go, how are you doing? And they stop and they look. And you almost not used to it, right? And you're like, uh, do I tell you? Fine. You know that. I'm Fine. But inside, screaming for help. And you go, really? You got time to tell me the truth? And still, sometimes they're, they're going to fight you, and sometimes they'll actually be honest. The rest of this particular portion, now you see we're only going five verses, the rest of this portion... Is about the rescuer, the purpose, the point, the path we take, the practical in it. But let's start with this. Is there anyone right now you suspect? I'm not even saying you know. Maybe you know as well, but you suspect is overtaken in enemy territory. You're like, but you're a Christian. Yeah. But Paul says, I am free, but I will not be put under bondage anymore. He knows he could be. You know, well, How does a Christian, a guy who's, who's an alcoholic, gives his life to Christ, how does he become an alcoholic again? How does he go back to that? It's simple. He has a choice and he's chosen to go back. Now, he may have made it quite convenient. But often, one of the reasons we struggle so bad is because we live right next to the cookies. And we wonder why we have a problem eating them. So follow me on this. If a man is overtaken by a trespass, who is supposed to help him? It says, and this is kind of a weird verse, right? Because you're thinking, okay, you who are spiritual. You think, oh, I'm spiritual. If I come to save the day, right? I mean, like, that's, like, what? Which, I mean, the, the guy that thinks he's spiritual, is that a bad idea at a moment like that? Is he actually being proud? Well, what does it mean? Interesting, because we're going to see in a moment a couple of the things that are good tests about that. But he says this. I mean, the idea, again, I remind you, we're pulling off of chapter 5, and chapter 5 says there is more than one way to live your life now. You have a choice. You can live it self-centered or you can live it Christ-centered where others are in focus. In this case, self-centered, people are going to be in your focus to be used. In the case where you're Christ-centered, Christ-centered, all of a sudden people are going to be there to be served. Do you hear the difference? The people who are spiritual are the people who are Christ-focused and others-centered, or Christ-centered and therefore others-focused. And he says then, and that's just come pulling up a chapter five. He says, this is what we do. We're restore. No, for what it's worth. The word here for restore is a word that kata means according to you. See, the idea of it is to put someone back according to their right path to come to where they're supposed to be going. That's the idea here. In other words, you're not just, listen, listen, listen. You're not just trying to get them out. You're trying to get them in. And it tells us, by the way, God is not about removal. He's about deliverance. Hear the difference. We don't go delivered from darkness into not darkness. To be delivered, there has to be a destination, right? Or I mean, if I say deliver this, well, you'd say to where? Imagine calling Pizza Hut. Say, I need a pizza delivered. And they're like, oh, well, where would you like it delivered to and you're like, no, I actually already have the pizza. I just think it's evil. Can you come over and deliver it? They'd think you were nutter. I mean, we're going to have a deliverance service. What does that mean? I think I have something bad in me. I want it removed. Well, then go to a removal service. Deliverance means you need to be going from something to something else. You are delivered when you get there. We are delivered from the power of darkness into the power of the son of God. That's what we read. We were delivered from the enemy into the arms of the God that we love. There's a destination. And understand here in this, the problem with fleeing is that you can flee to another situation just as bad as the last, simply because all you want is to get out. And you go from one situation to another. Jesus talks about that like a spirit driven from a house. If he comes back and finds the house is swept clean, it says it'll get seven worse than himself. And I tell you, the condition of that house will be so much worse than it was before. See, the issue is not trying to get the thing out. It's to get a new person in. I've never had to fear the enemy since I've given my life to Christ because I know who lives in this house now. And greater is he who was in me than he who was in the world. So, there's a person who looks and sees a guy and recognizes that, man, I'm going to look really bad if this guy goes off the rails. You'll go into it with very selfish motives. That's not a spiritual ambition at all. Then another person goes, man. All I want to see is you back in the arms of Jesus, where you belong. Not just I don't. I want to see you stop doing drugs. I want to see you stop doing, stop beating people up, stop sleeping around, stop whatever, whatever the behavior is. One just as bad as the next. The point is not getting you out of that. The point is getting you into the arms of Jesus. There's the difference. There was a guy I knew. And he was gifted with just about every human quality you can imagine. He had the perfect hair, the perfect body, perfect face. He was socially gifted. When he spoke, people listened. He was influential. He was smart in regards to his int- he was intelligent. He was a third-degree black belt in a couple disciplines. He was a Navy SEAL. Everything he did athletic was amazing. When he touched the arts, it just seemed like they sang on him. But he was so gifted, he was bored. Some of you understand that. He was so gifted, he was unchallenged. And he fell into alcohol. And he fell hard he got so addicted to alcohol that he became a threat because he would go from house to house. And as he went from house to house, he would steal from the people so he can get what he needed. But they were afraid of him because he was a tough guy. He didn't look so tough, but oh, he was tough. So he went to rehab. While he was at rehab, all he wanted was to be away from... The alcohol. By that point, he had been messing around with a few other things pretty heavy as well. His whole point there was to get free from a handful of things. He had, no one, he had no direction of where to go to, just where to go from. Within two weeks, Mitch was leading the rehab house where he was. Within two weeks. He was just that socially gifted that he knew how to learn the routine enough where they just thought he was so... And and they were convinced. He was clean. He was rising up. And they left him one night to watch the place. That night, they caught a guy with a bag of unknown substance. Mitch did what any guy would do. He took it and he confiscated it. Put it in a safe place. And the next morning, we rolled my brother over, dead in his own blood. But he didn't die from alcohol. He was alcohol free for at least a couple weeks. Because he was interested in getting away. But He wasn't really sure where he was going. The Bible does not say here we're to remove. It says we're to restore. Do you see the difference? And I look at a person and trying to change a single behavior is not the point. I look at a person and say, you're behaving this way and it's so contrary to what God wants. But we're missing the point, beloved. The point is that God created them to be with him. And anything else we do could almost interfere the point is not the behavior. The behavior is the symptom of the fact that the heart is not with Christ like it belongs. And the worst part, the most miserable person in the world is the person who's feasted at that banquet and now is eating the scraps from the pigs. Because they know how good it could be if they'd humble themselves and come home. I think sometimes the enemy has convinced them that the older brother in the prodigal son story is every person in the church, pastor included. And it is so not true. But some of it is, to be honest, because we can't spend our whole life chasing after every person that doesn't show up on a Sunday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday or whatever study they regular. But when we get on our faces and we're seeking the Lord, you know this. Sometimes he just puts somebody on your heart. And here's the thing. If the Lord puts that person on your heart, don't expect the Lord to put that person on a whole bunch of other people's hearts. So when you say the Lord's put this person really heavy on my heart. And you're trying to rally a posse. Sometimes you may not get it because to be honest a posse may scare the person away. And what they need is one person to love them enough to get to them. Sometimes the Lord will let you gather account, but most of the time it doesn't seem to work that way. So listen. And we better pick it up. We're in verse 1 still, right? Listen. If a brother, if anyone you see is caught, is overtaken now in a trespass, you who are spiritual, the point is to restore him. And this is how we do it. The purpose is restoration. The person that is in trouble is a Christian. The person that is to restore is spiritual only. The path is one, he says here, the word, notice, in a spirit of gentleness. The word gentleness is a word we would be familiar with if we were reading this in original language. is The word that's used when Jesus is blessed are the meek. Now, a meek person is not a weak person. It's used of a broken colt. They're no less strong. They're just now steerable. They're no less strong. They're just now steerable. And the idea is, I don't come at a person who is drowning and scream at them to swim harder. I come in gently with strength reigned by Christ. I said, you want to come out with me now? Would you like to go home? I wonder how long the prodigal would have stayed had one person from the household found him and said, your dad wants you back. Why don't you come home now? In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself. The word for consider is like we get the word scoping from it means to see, to overview, to observe, to contemplate, lest you yourself find yourself in the great test. So now I realize that if I'm going to go and approach someone, even if right now the Lord's been putting someone on your heart as I speak, someone that you know needs recon, the rest of this is about considering. Notice what the rest of this portion says. I mean, doesn't it seem a little contrary that in verse 2 it says bear one another's burden, but in verse 5 it says each one shall bear his own load. Did you notice that? Bearing one another's burden makes sense. That's the way I view myself. I'm responsible for my side of the street. Each Each one shall bear his own load, I'm sorry, is the way I view myself. I'm responsible for my side of the street. When it comes to bearing one another's burdens, that's how I view you, is that I still want to be able to be in a position where I can help you when necessary. So look what it says, bear one another's burdens, that whole idea of considering myself, let and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's like, you know what, you really want to do what Christ has called you, this will look, this is what it looks like. Notice, notice what it says next. For if anyone thinks himself something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Isn't that kind of a strange thing to say here, or not? Why is that there? And then let each one examine his own work. That he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. That's a strange thing to put in here. Why is that here? Or is it there for purpose? Well, look at those two things. One is, why don't you take a careful look at yourself and think how hot you really are. The second is, why don't you take a careful look at your work and stop comparing it to someone else's. Remember when it said, you who are spiritual, restore the individual, but consider yourself first. Take a careful look at yourself first. mine I just say, that's exactly what he's telling us. So here's the situation. Claudia, she innocently steps into something. It's a little shiny. It's a little exciting. She knows it's off boundaries, but she doesn't realize how dangerous it is. And down the slide she goes. And now she's in danger. She is trapped. She's feeling in a place where she is overwhelmed and overcome. And Jenny sort of notices that. And as Jenny starts to notice that as a compassionate individual like Jenny can be, she notices Claudia and wants to step in and help. And God says, well, let's take a look at a couple of things, Jenny, beforehand. Here's a little personal inventory. The personal inventory starts with this. Who do you think you are? Not who, like, who do you think you are to rescue her? The question is, who do you think you are in the process? Because often what the problem is, is we get this savior complex because we love people. I mean, the strange thing is, this is a problem for the wrong reasons, but for the very best intentions. What happens is I see someone and I love them and I want them so bad to get it. And I'm like, come on! But if they don't get it, I feel like I failed. But I'm not the one who can restore them. I'm just the ambassador. And what happens is we stay up at night and we beat ourselves up and we're like, oh, oh, now, three days later, if only I'd said that! But if that had come to mind when I was praying and it didn't come to mind, maybe God didn't want me to share that. That or He would have given it to me. And so what happens is, like, look at yourself while you're doing this. Make sure you realize a couple things. One is, is the thing that they're being tempted in something you could be tempted in? If you have a problem in that area and you see somebody drowning in that area, you might want to really call for help with someone that may not necessarily have that particular weakness. It's like, you know, I've got a friend and you know what? This is their area, and they're really struggling with their identity. They're really struggling with this addiction. They're really struggling with gossip and, their, and the way that they see themselves in the sight of God. And they really are with selfishness or with whatever it is, with bitterness, with anger, and whatever it is. And in all of those things, all of a sudden you're like, but you know what, But you are you humble enough to go to someone else? I just want you to know, though, I have a weakness in this area, so would you at least come with me to walk, to guard me, so that I don't get sucked into that. I mean, for some people, if a guy's in a club and he shouldn't be in a club, some people go in and get him in the club, they're just going to wind up clubbing. So part of it is, look, at, why don't you consider yourself, well, do you think you're really something? On the other side, if you could think you're so nothing, you don't trust God to do the work. And it's like, well, I'm really not anything anyways. Well, God's like, but I'm everything, and I'm coming with you. I'm sending you, and I'm going with you. Trust me to do something with it. And then he says, oh, in this area of your work, here comes the other part of it. Because you just start thinking you're something because, well, check me out, I'm obviously not better than you because, man, you're in a really bad place right now, and I'm not so bad. You know, in the moment you compare yourself to Hitler, you look pretty good. And most people, you know that. When you ask them, well, you know, you need Jesus, you need a Savior, and they're like, no, 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 I'm a good person. And they will explain to me what that means to be a good person. They're like, I haven't killed anyone. Oh, so you're comparing yourself to what, Charles Manson? You're a good person because you're not Charles Manson? Is that really, that makes you good? God's like, yeah, anyone that hasn't killed a whole bunch of people, I guess. Really? He's like, you know what, don't do that. Consider yourself in such a way so that you're like, you know what, Lord, I still need you too. And the difference is this. I can sit with an individual and not go, hey, yeah, what are you doing with this? It's like, you know what, bro, you and me both, we have our struggles and we both need the same Jesus. Can we walk arm in arm out of this? Because there's a chance that I'm going to need you to do this for me someday. So, follow me in this. I'm going to take you to one quick thing and we'll close this up. Because I don't want us to miss the depth and the beauty of this. If you have your Bibles with you, and prayerfully you do, because we gave them to you, if you didn't, flip to Mark 2 for a second. Chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark, verse 1, it says this. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together. I'm sorry, do, you, do I need to give you time? Sorry. And immediately many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So he preached the word to them. And when, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they led down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralytic, but theirs. And he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes who were sitting there reasoning in their hearts said, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, Then arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, oh, "We never saw anything like this." Again, it was a guy who couldn't get to Jesus. He was so powerless to get there. But God called these people that were with him friends. Did you notice that? He had friends. He had four of them. And he had friends who cared enough that they were going to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. I mean, I could develop this, but I won't for the sake of time. I just want to bring out a point in clarity. These guys knew if they could get him to Jesus, he'd be okay. That was their whole mission. Their whole mission was not trying to get him to walk because there was another issue to be dealt with, his sins. And Jesus knew it. In those days, by the way, you may be aware of the fact that the most two of mo- the major causes of every paralysis that took place outside of birth were often from sexually transmitted diseases. Now, well, I mean, granted, every once in a while you could get hit by a chariot, I would fall off a horse, I grant you that. But it was a natural assumption that if a person was paralyzed and they weren't born paralyzed, that you earned it. And the reason I say that is the stigma that would carry for the rest of the people out there looking at such a man. Blindness was another one, by the way, of that. These guys weren't there just going, you know what, if we could just get you walking, we'd be cool, because then people would think you're all right. They're like, we need to get you to Jesus. So you know what they did? They decided they were going to carry his cot, because this guy couldn't. Let me ask you something. Do you have cod carriers? I mean, guys that know, or girls that know, when you are that weak, that they're going to come around you, get you up, and get you to Jesus. And if that means that they have to carry you, then they're going to carry you. If that means that they have to tear through the roof, they'll tear through the roof. If that means they have to drop you down and cover whatever cost it takes to get there, they'll love you enough. To get you down there. Because don't you realize that's what it's saying in in Galatians? Here's the thing. I would be very shocked if you genuinely believed you had caught carriers that probably didn't believe you were one for them. Because the bottom line is we're all going to need it. You're probably aware over the last couple months, things have been really crazy, not in the area of sin, but just in the challenges of our visa. Can I just make clear to you on Friday, unless something radical happened, we will be putting in for our visa, at least putting in to get our sponsorship for our visa. We are planning on moving forward. And if there's a way to move forward, we're going to do it. We are committed to you guys in any way until the government removes us. We love you that much. That is the way we are going to be. But, you know, it's the times like that. And, it, and to be honest, it's like for a lot of it's, to be honest, my, my family. I mean, you know, you, you want security. Kids want security. Why wouldn't they? wife wants security. Why wouldn't she? Now, our eyes are on Jesus in this. But at those times, to be honest, sometimes those people won't cry out for help just the same way you won't. And do you love them enough? And I'm just saying, do you love my wife or children enough? But do you love those people that are your people, your peeps, enough to carry their cause? It's going to smell bad. You're aware of it. A paralyzed guy doesn't smell good when you're carrying him. He hasn't been able to get up when he has to go to the toilet. He goes to the toilet right where he's at. He's sitting in his own mess. And so will the people you're probably trying to carry to Jesus. It'll just be more spiritual. But they're still in their own mess. But you know what? I love you enough I'm going to carry you. My prayer tonight, if you're willing to do this with me, is to do some seeking in the Lord. And to ask, Lord, who do you want me to be a cot carrier for? Someone that says, look, at, I just, whether you know it or not, I'd like to commit to you that at those moments when things get rough, I want to be praying for you enough so that I'll have the spiritual insight enough to see you in the need when you may not want to call out to me so I can grab that cot with, to help get you to Jesus. But then also might I ask to do some soul searching on who you would like your cod carriers to be. My suggestion is make it the same people. I'd like to offer to carry yours when you need it to. But I'd also like, would you please be praying for me? Because I'm considering myself lest I also be tempted. I'm a human being just like you that just needs Jesus just like you do. Would you keep your eye on me so that when those moments come, when you see me straying, and I want to be honest with you enough to know, to let you know this is what it kind of looks like when I start rolling over and start sniffing into territory that's familiar but trespassing nonetheless. Hey, some of you like me, we've lived in more than one house our whole life. When we first moved here, we moved blindly to Hampstead Heath. It's probably the most expensive place in the world to live, but it it was a place where we could fit 100 people and, and we kind of lived next to Satan. But anyways, but, um, but in all of that, it's like now we've moved out. We all live in our own separate places. That was a place we're familiar with. I could probably still walk into that house, theoretically, hypothetically, and walk my way closed with my eyes closed to all of the rooms. But it would be trespassing now. Though I'm familiar with it, it still would be trespassing because it's not my place anymore. And there's a lot of places in your past and in my past That aren't our places anymore. And the reason I say that is those are the places, to be honest, where we'd be most prone to trespass. Because we would convince ourselves we're not trespassing because we're familiar with it. But it's trespassing nonetheless. And the reason I say that is there are people that I know that I love. That they know where I've come from. I don't have to fill them in on a barrage of details. But they know where I am in regards to the moment I lose my grace with people and my sense of humor and that. And I start getting just bitter and nasty and seclusive and insular. That's where they need to nail me before I get any worse. Because those are symptoms of a heart that is not in the right place. And the reason I tell that to people is because I know I need cod carriers. We all do. So as we go to prayer tonight, can we seek the Lord on that? Could you imagine what would happen that we as a church became cod carriers for each other? We're not nosy busybodies. We're people that love each other enough to just want them with Jesus. That's the point. If I can get you to Jesus, I know He can take care of you. You're where you belong. It's that simple. So let me ask you have you ever accepted Jesus in the first place? He died on a cross for your sins, just like mine, so that who I was, who you were, could be left there permanently was buried so that person could be buried. And just like Scripture promised, rose again on the third day to offer you a brand new person who has the choice to be free from the bondage that you've been in, or maybe even right now are in. He wants to do that, but the only thing left is to let him. And that's to grant him permission. He's paid your price. The bill's been paid. Have you accepted his payment? Interesting, because if you look at this text, it says let those who are spiritual. And I just love the idea that there's a let there. There's, there's a desire in that. Well, my God wants you. So bad he'd rather die than live without you. There's the point. So look, at first, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to this Jesus. If you're not sure if you have or not, you can walk out of here. Sure, pray with me. But then from there, we'll turn then to those who have said yes, including maybe yourself, and ask the Lord then, to raise up in our hearts, names, people, faces that we know that aren't just like someone very distant, but somebody that's close enough that will love us enough to say, you know, you're kind of looking like you need your cot carried right now. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word here. I know we've gone long, but there's no way to cut this short. And I pray right now, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room, your beloved, Lord, I just pray right now that you would, Lord, speak to us and minister to us. Be putting names and people, uh, faces on our hearts, Lord, even as we turn ourselves right now, Lord, to those who may have never said yes to you. In this room right now, within the sound of my voice, have you accepted Jesus' payment on the cross for you? Are you? Declaring him as your ransom so you could be free from the bondage and the captive, from the hostage situation we find ourselves in spiritually. But also, have you accepted him as your Lord, giving him permission now to take over your life and make it beautiful? If you haven't, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me right now. God in heaven. I am a sinner just like every other human being. The need is universal. And you, as a righteous judge, punish all sin. But I believe that you, in your love for me, sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, Son of God and God the Son, to die on the cross for all of the sins of mankind, mine included. And when he died there, my bill was paid. My crimes were punished. And as he was buried, the person that I hate so much, that I want to be free from, was buried with him. And as he rose from the grave, he offers me new life now. One that is free to choose freedom, to serve others and love others, and not just to serve myself. I'm so tired of that. Serving myself. It's so unsatisfying. So right now, in this room, I say yes to the gift of Jesus, declaring Him as my ransom payment, as my Savior, and as my Lord. I give myself to You now. Have me, please, in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask to give a confident and resounding Amen. Amen. Lord, thank You. I pray for those who said yes to you tonight that you would bury in their hearts, Lord, a hunger for your word to know you better. That you would develop within them the heart of a cot carrier and make them the people you ordain them to be. Give them love for fellowship. Show them intimacy in prayer. Develop them tonight, I pray. Cement that decision. And with every person who's called on your name, be it tonight or many moons ago, Lord, I pray tonight that you would show us that we are not to do this alone. First and foremost, it's with you, but also with each other. We are not called to be isolators. And Lord, forgive us if we've ever looked at the church in a manner, Lord, where we've listened to the enemy to isolate us. But tonight, Lord, I just pray you would set us free from that and put on my heart tonight names of people that you want me to commit to being their cock carriers, but also, Lord, put people on my heart tonight that that would be willing, Lord, to be cock carriers for me as well. Oh, Lord, please, tonight, make me the cock carrier that you want me to be. So, Lord, make me the spiritual person you want me to be that would consider myself. And, Lord, give me that supernatural wisdom to see who, but also how and when with a spirit of gentleness, Lord, that I wouldn't approach them with harshness, but rather, Lord, with all of the power you give me under your reign for the purpose of restoration. So make me such an individual now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.